Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. This is the Good Grief Podcast. I'm Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Registered Deeds, with Carly Malcolm, lead for NC Fellow from the North Carolina Institute of Government. Today we have Michael Moyer with us. Michael is the cemetery superintendent for the city of Greensboro. That is a department that is located within the Parks and Rec Department. We're going to get to know Michael today, learn about his role as a cemetery superintendent and how the city of Greensboro operates and manages its cemeteries. So, Michael, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be here. All right. How did you become a funeral director and what's your background that prepared you to become a super a cemetery superintendent? Well, funeral service is actually a second career for me, which is fairly common in the funeral industry. You usually have people who were born into it and have done nothing else or people that go into it because they feel it's their calling, and I fall into that last category. I spent my early career in the communications field. It's funny, I had always wanted to be a funeral director, but when I was growing up, my father thought that was a dumb idea. <laughs> so, I, you know, our generation didn't argue with our parents like kids do today. So uh, I did what he had always wanted to do, which was go to engineering school and had a successful career. But finally got to the point that I was old enough to do what I wanted to do and took early retirement and went back to school. I went to Gupton Jones in Atlanta, which is the largest mortuary school in the country. And only had to go for a year because I already had college. And... Uh, Never looked back. So I was at a local funeral home for a number of years, local family-owned funeral home as a funeral director. And then when I was thinking about retirement, the city kind of reached out and approached me. They were having some struggles with the city cemeteries and asked, you know, what my background was and ended up applying and getting that job. So, and this is about 30 years of being in this field, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Almost exactly 30 years. Huh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're also the past president of the North Carolina Funeral Directors Association. Can you tell us about that group and maybe also explain what the North Carolina Board of Funeral Services? Yeah, the, the North Carolina Funeral Directors Association, or commonly referred to as NCFDA, is an association of funeral directors and funeral homes, and it's a, kind of a fraternal organization. Its, it's task is to promote funeral service to... Uh, provide continuing education opportunities and to keep funeral directors and all up to speed with the latest, you know, trends and technology and, and government laws and things that we need to be looking after, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was elected by my peers to be president of that association back when I was still in at the local funeral home. The other organization there is not an organization, it's a state board, is the North Carolina Board of Funeral Service or NCBFS. That is the actual regulatory agency that is tasked with 
enforcing all the rules and the laws and things that pertain to funeral service. It's responsible for issuing state licenses, both to individuals and to firms. Um, it regulates funeral home establishments, pre-need funeral funding, and is really the consumer watchdog that protects the public. Hmm. Those members are appointed by the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the house. Okay. And so we've got a few different kinds of cemeteries. There's the private, the public, and then the government operated. Could you explain the differences between those? Sure. Cemeteries, as you say, usually fall into one of three categories. Private cemeteries, these are usually family cemeteries or church cemeteries. Family cemeteries are usually more frequently found in rural areas and were usually started years and years ago with multiple generations of a family or families being buried in that cemetery. Until the early 20th century, it was very common for churches to have their own cemeteries adjacent to the actual church. It's funny, in Guilford County, the two oldest church cemeteries are Alamance Presbyterian Church and Buffalo Presbyterian Church. They both started in 1756, mm-hmm. and there's a friendly rivalry as to which one is the oldest because they were both chartered within about a week of each other. There's actually religious cemeteries that are private, would be considered private cemeteries as well. Here in Greensboro, we have the Hebrew Cemetery, which is at the corner of Van Story Street and what is now Gate City Boulevard, I'll forever call it High Point Road. (laughs) And it's operated by the Jewish congregations here to serve their congregations. There's an Islamic cemetery on Rock Creek Dairy Road that serves the Muslim population. And then in some of the larger areas, like particularly North Carolina, I think in Charlotte, there's a Catholic cemetery that's very prevalent up north to have cemeteries actually run by the Catholic diocese, but not as common down here. So public cemeteries are more commonly referred to as for-profit cemeteries. These are run by large corporations as a business entity. They're open to anyone who wants to purchase property there. It doesn't have to be any religious sect or anything like that. They're in their run as a profit center or a business. And some examples in our area would be Guilford Memorial Park, Lakeview Memorial Park, Westminster Gardens, or down at High Point Floral Garden Park are some of the larger for-profit cemeteries here in the area. Government cemeteries typically fall into two classes. They're usually more commonly the veteran cemeteries operated by the federal and state governments like Arlington or the National Cemetery at Salisbury. There's a state veteran cemetery over near Asheville. Or there are cemeteries operated by municipal governments, and that's where our cemeteries fall. Mm. Um, the cities come under the municipal government cemetery. Um, this might also be a time you, you know, I'd heard you ask before about perpetual care. Mm-hmm. A lot of cemeteries use the term perpetual care in their advertisement or in their promotions, and it's probably one of the most misunderstood terms by the public that you'll encounter. Uh, Perpetual care has nothing to do with the day-to-day maintenance of a cemetery. I always tell people when they ask me about it, instead of saying perpetual care, use the term never abandon. The purpose of the state perpetual care fund is to guarantee that if um, an operator of a cemetery goes bankrupt, or out of business, or just simply walks away from it, then the state can use the funds that have been deposited in the perpetual care fund to step in and make sure the cemetery is operated until they can find a new owner or a new operator. Hmm. And where do those funds come from? They're usually a percentage of the sale, the property sales, you know, 15, 20% of 
the property sale goes into the state fund and it's and it's managed by the state. Okay. <clears throat> so that's that's a good uh, segue into my next question, which is, what happens when a cemetery is full? Well, there again, that's a term that's kind of often misunderstood. It's not unusual for a cemetery to be sold out. It's almost unheard of for one to be full. Hmm. Uh, the difference being, example, Green Hill in here in Greensboro is one of the is the oldest city cemetery. It is close to being sold out. Will probably be sold out within the next two years, as far as us having property available for sale. It will never be full because back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were families that would have bought 10 and 12 big, large family lots. They might have used four, five, or six of those, and now the family's so scattered, they don't even know that they own the property or they're relocated geographically, so they have no desire to be buried in the Greensboro area. So those spaces will never be used, and therefore the cemetery technically will never be full. I'm going to get back to the pet perpetual care Sure. Question for a second. We had a situation where there was a graveyard that was found off of Pomona mm-hmm. in Greensboro. And we oh, looked next to the railroad tracks. Yeah, right next to the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went out and walked it, and we could never find out who, quote unquote, owned it. Of course, there was a church that was close to that area. And I know at some point they put the railroad crossing in, but, you know, the land is still there. The graves are still there. And it seems like you're already familiar with that property. Yeah. I, I was asked questions about it a number of years ago. And the yeah. best we could determine, it was either an old church cemetery that the church yeah. had out defunct and had been abandoned for years and years, or quite possibly some sort of family cemetery that was no longer in use or maintained. Yeah. But that we could find no records of ownership, like you mentioned. And almost all of the graves out there were unmarked or just marked with simple stones with no inscription on them. So there was no real way to determine it, but logically it either had to be a a church that had moved on or, or a family cemetery that was no longer used. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Let's talk about city Greensburg. Okay. Can you give us an overview of the cemeteries operated by the city? And uh, of course I ask you about, you know, about, you know, people, choosing to be buried in it. But can you give us an overview of the cemeteries? Sure. Greensboro operates four municipal cemeteries. They're Green Hill, Union, Maplewood, and Forest Lawn. Green Hill is the oldest of the cemeteries. It's located right downtown on Horton Street, and it opened in 1877. Green Hill is composed of 51 acres of the land, which is landlocked. It's all, you know, when nothing but city streets around it now. There have been approximately 14,000 internments in Green Hill, and as I said earlier, it will probably be sold out, not full, within the next two years because I'm down to less than 25 gray spaces that we can sell to people right there. Union is the second oldest and probably the least known of the city cemeteries. It's located at the corner of South Elm and Whittington Street. It originally opened in 1880 and was founded by the congregations of St. James Presbyterian Church St. Matthew's Methodist Church and Providence Baptist Church to provide burial spaces for the city's African-American community back when they were not allowed to be buried at Green Hill. Yeah. In 1993, it was actually placed on the National Register of Historic Places. In the early 1900s, the city took over Union strictly just from a maintenance standpoint because it was closed. There have been no burials in Union since 1918, which coincides when Maplewood was opened in 1918. 
And although there are no barrels been there in over a hundred years, we're still tasked with maintaining it, keeping it up and that sort of thing. So the next cemetery is Maplewood Cemetery. It opened in 1918 and it's located on Bingham Street with the main entrance on Peachtree Street off of East Market. It's comprised of 26 acres uh, and there's been a total of 13,750 burials roughly in there. And as of October this year, it's sold out. It is not full. I still will have burials down there for families that already own spaces and can continue to use ones that they've previously purchased, but it's landlocked and and no opportunity for expansion, so we have nothing else to sell the public. Hmm. And the last of the cemeteries is Forest Lawn Cemetery, and technically it's the newest of the city cemeteries, relatively speaking, since it opened in 1928. It's also the largest and the most active. It's 81 acres and was constructed in 1926 and 27 using prison labor. And at the time it was constructed, it was way outside the city corporate limits of Greensboro, way north of, and people thought it was a foolish idea. But as you can imagine, the city's completely grown up around it, around it. now and everything. We've had over 21,000 barrels at Forest Lawn. And as I said, it's the city most active. Uh, of the 81 acres, 51 have been developed in this 30 acres that still not cleared and can be cleared for future development. Mm-hmm. What's the product? If someone wants to uh, choose to be buried in a municipal cemetery, what is the the process around all that and uh, the cost and that kind of thing associated with um, Excuse me for coughing. You'll have to edit that. Well, the, to schedule interment in one of the city cemeteries, or for that matter, just about any cemetery, the local funeral home would normally contact our office Sometimes the family will contact us directly if the local funeral home is not actually going to be involved uh, in the interment. Example, if they just had a simple cremation and then in the future choose to bury the ashes, they would reach out to us directly. Um, we have a, our office has a standard service form that we would fill out that has just tons of biographical information and things that we need for our database and our record. Based on the information that they provide, we would determine the location of the grave if they already own property, or if not, we would schedule an appointment to meet with the family for them to select a grave space if they wanted to purchase one. Based on the schedule, we would open the grave prior to the service, and what's involved is is not just as, as simple as it sounds. You actually have to go out and locate property corners and measure and get the exact location of the grave. Cemeteries has specialized equipment we use. We act, for example, our backhoe has a bucket on it's the exact width of a grave, which is much wider than a normal backhoe bucket. So we open consistent width all the time. And that's based on vault sizes and stuff. So we know we're going to cover it on that. And we have special equipment used to haul the excess dirt away. And then following the service, the process is reversed and we haul everything back in and cover the grave up once the service is finished and everything. Someone had asked me, I think, in the conversation about the term six feet deep. Yeah. And where that came from. We're like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's really an inaccurate term. Today, most graves are really approximately 55 inches deep, which is less than six feet, obviously. Um, The 55 inches allows for the outer burial container or, or the burial container to be in place in the bottom of the grave and still have the state mandated 18 inches of cover over the top of it. And that's a relatively new state requirement that came about following Hurricane Ike with so many 
graves floated up down east and you saw pictures of vaults and caskets floating up down the Tar River. And following that, the state passed some new rules that require you to have a minimum of 18 inches of dirt on top of the burial container to make sure it stays weighted down and everything. The, the, term, the term six feet deep actually goes back to colonial times. <clears throat> and the reason for that was if you put the body or the burial container, whether it was just a body in a shroud or a wooden casket or a wicker basket, if it was the bottom of it was six feet deep, that meant that the top of the burial container or the body was at least 48 inches below ground level, which is the depth it took to keep an animal from being able to determine there was a decaying body and digging it up. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so that's kind of a so un, 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 un understood or misunderstood term, you know. So really, so really, <laughs> it'd be, I'm not buried six feet under. I'm five foot seven inches under. Yeah, so, or something, <laughs> something like that, about five feet under. Because, yeah, that six feet under was, it, it got you down so that a wild animals couldn't detect, determine, you know, a decaying body and, and be prone to digging it up and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I don't, how much are a plot? How much is a plot? Currently... And plots in, in city cemeteries, if you're a city resident, are $1,200 each, which is, a, if you compare it to the for-profit cemeteries, $1,500 if you're a non-resident. Okay. And then the difference, we also have discounted graves in our veteran section that are, our, our regulations require those to be sold at half the price of the normal grave space. So like currently a, a space in the Veteran section at Forest Lawn is only $600, but only the veteran can be buried there. Their spouse cannot be buried with them in the future. And that's, that discount is because back in the early 1930s, when that section was developed, the government provided some assistance for the cost and everything. So that was the agreement that it was, looks just like Arlington or Salisbury National, the same white upright headstones, but there again, only the veteran can be buried. Hmm. So then... Let's talk about an exhumation. Can you talk about what that is, how often it happens, and why it would happen? Sure. Exhumations, or probably more commonly referred to as disinterments, are not common at all. On average, our staff would perform an exhumation or a disinterment about once every 12 to 18 months. Unusual for us, last month in October, we did four in one week, which is like two or three years worth. Usually they're done when a family has relocated and they want someone who may have died young and was buried here in Greensboro 20, 30, 40 years ago, moved to be with the rest of the family. Sometimes, you know, granddad was buried and now all the rest of the family is being cremated and their ashes are putting in the column bearing at their church. And so they'll decide to exhume a body and have it cremated and added with the rest of the family. And there are those rare occasions where a court can order a disinterment if there's a legal issue, such as after burial, somebody raises a question about the cause of death, or if there's a big estate and, and unknown relatives start coming out of the woodwork and they want to do a paternity test or something like that. But that is almost never done. So, Can I ask you, if, if a person is cremated yes, and they wanted to be buried in a city cemetery, <laughs> would the cost of the plot still be the same? Cost of the plot would be the same. Okay. The difference being that that our our regulations say that if you bought a, a single gray space for twelve hundred dollars, both you and your wife's ashes could go in the same grave space. So you'd basically be, uh -oh. be split it'd be like six hundred dollars each kind of thing, if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. The opening of the grave is much less. For example, right now, 
during the week, the opening of a traditional grave for a, a casketed burial is $800, and it's only 400 for a cremation. We also, the city, unlike some of the for-profit cemeteries, we do not require a fancy urn or an urn vault or anything like that. You can use what's called in the profession the temporary container, which is just a simple container that comes straight back from the crematory, and that meets our standards and stuff. So mm. we are not a profit center, so we're not trying to see how much we can sell you before you get out the door. Yeah. Well, and that uh, brings up <coughs> my next question, but we, in, in some of our podcast interviews, and interviewing folks in the in the field, we're finding that there are more cremations that are beginning to happen. For that, another reason, that, that's thing. very much a geographical thing. Thing, you know, you always think about when you hear cremation. You think about California, uh-huh. you know, Hawaii. Actually, the highest number of cremations are probably in the United, probably in Washington State and Oregon. It's a it's a geographical thing. It's a church oriented thing. Yeah. We are still considered, for lack of a better term, the Bible Belt. So cremations, while they've increased in some of the metropolitan areas, almost unheard of in rural areas. When I was at the funeral home, if I could find out where the deceased person's church membership was, I could just about tell you whether they're going to be cremated or a traditional burial before the family ever walked in the door. Some some churches I knew there was a 90% cremation rate. Some churches I knew there was a... 0% 0% cremation. That makes um, The funeral home where at the local family funeral home where I was employed for a number of years had multiple branches and the cremation rate varied greatly by branches. The downtown Elm Street branch had a much higher cremation rate than the some of the rural areas up in Stokes County or Rockingham County like that. So that, it's very much a religious geographical thing. Just like styles of caskets and that kind of thing vary by geographical regions. That makes sense. So what options are there out there for people who who need financial assistance in terms of burying someone? Unfortunately, Uh, in North Carolina, not much at all. There are very few options for indigent burial. Each of the hundred counties sets their own rate for reimbursement. In Guilford County, this is a whopping $540, and it hasn't changed in 20 years. And that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to get the fight. That's if the budget hasn't run dry. Mm. For example, with this year, with all the setbacks from COVID and revenue stream interruptions, the county could come out in December and say, we have no more money for indigent bearers. So your funeral home's not guaranteed that. Usually, a reputable funeral home will work with the family, and they'll take that $540, and at the very least, they'll perform a simple cremation, which is lower than their normal cost. And help the family out that. In the case of the city's municipal cemeteries, if a person is injured and the term already known to the Guilford County Social Services Department, and for example, if they have an assigned social worker and are truly being considered as indigent, if that social worker certifies him as indigent, then we are authorized to provide them a free grave space and waive our normal charges. But that almost never happens because Someone being on the common term welfare or SSI or receiving food stamps does not mean they're indigent. In fact, that actually hurts them because they're getting income coming in. So with the exception of some homeless people who have zero income, it's almost impossible to be declared indigent here in North Carolina. In terms of like (laughs) Guilford County, the city has a a city-owned cemetery system, I guess you want to call it. Mm -hmm. High Point, I think, has one too, right? High Point has a couple of city cemeteries, not, not as large as Greensboro. Okay. Are they about the only two? 
Do you know? Oh, no, no. I mean, Charlotte has. Oh, I mean, in Guilford County. Oh, in Guilford County, yes. Yes. Yeah. I, none of, I mean, they're, all the others are going to be private or public cemeteries. I don't know. I mean, you know, High Point, Greensboro, pretty glad example, you know, Julian, any of those kinds of, are not going to have city-operated cemeteries uh-huh. in our counties. Do you see in the next, like, 10 or 15 years there being any need for additional space for city-owned cemeteries? Yes and no. I see it as a funeral director. I'm not sure city officials <laughs> agree <laughs> with the priority. For example, there's an additional 30 acres at Forest Lawn. Will that be allowed to be cleared and used as cemetery property? I don't know. Mm. As a funeral director, I can say, yes, there's a need for it in the next 20 years, 10 years. We'll definitely need that space or to start getting that space prepared. But I will also be honest to say that undeveloped land backs up to country park. So the city may look at what is best for our city to expand country park or to expand forest lawn cemetery. So there's decisions way above my pay grade to be made for that. So, yeah, well, and, and thank you for all this. I mean, I really appreciate it. These are some really important questions. And uh, when we started this end of life project, we talked about, you know, the need for the public to understand more information when they're, you know, mourning loved ones and the resources in the community and that kind of thing. You know, you're one of those positions like the register of deeds. You know, nobody kind of knows what I do <laughs> until until they have a baby, get married, someone dies, or they buy a house. You know, it's really important, you yeah, know. Yeah. And to be the cemetery superintendent, you know, it's one of those positions where people will be like, well, you know, I don't know who that guy is or lady is or whatever and what they do. But, you know, you're around in case we need you, right? Yeah, I'm one of those people that you need, but you don't ever want to talk to. Uh, yeah, there you go. You need, but you don't ever want to talk to. Yeah. And and when you do it, you probably can't talk. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, yeah. it's a one-way conversation. What kind of permits would someone need for a burial or an exhumation? There are no state or federal permits required for burials in North Carolina, other than in the case of a veteran. You have to have a copy of his discharge proving that he is eligible to be buried in a veteran's location. The responsibility is on really the funeral home and the funeral director to file a legal death certificate with Jeff in his office and make sure those legal requirements are met. But the cemetery doesn't need or require a copy of that. You know, in the case of an exhumation or disinterment, you have to have an executed form from the local health department. That is mandated must be filed and signed off by the health department and a copy provided to the cemetery before we're allowed to exhume a body, the exception being a cremation. Once, once a body is cremated, whether ashes are buried or not, the state doesn't care. They consider the cremation the final disposition. So I would not need a permit, for example, if someone's ashes were buried at a cemetery and they wanted to have them disinterred. The only other type of permit that comes into play really in funeral service is what's referred to as a burial transit permit. That's required if you <clears throat> transport a body across state lines, either the funeral home does it. For example, if somebody dies in one of the northern North Carolina counties and they take them into Virginia to bury them, they have to file a burial transit permit with the state of Virginia and showing where that body was came from and where it was interred. Uh, or if you ship a body by common carrier, like on the airlines, if somebody dies in California and they ship them back here to North Carolina, they have to file a burial transit permit showing where the body is ending up. There again, doesn't apply to cremations. If somebody dies and cremated in California, the family can bring the ashes back 
and no permits required. So what's the cost of a disinterment if someone decides that they want their loved one to be exhumed? Okay, the costs are, are covered on two different ends. You've got the disinterment cost, which is involved in the location where the body's buried, being removed and transported to a new location. And then you have the new burial costs, which involve the opening and closing of the new grave for whatever, the purchase of the new grave, that kind of thing on the receiving end. So on average, for example, if we had a, a body to be exhumed in a city cemetery and moved to another location, you're looking at my charges currently of a couple of thousand dollars. The vault company is typically going to be around $400 plus any mileage if there's a distance for it to be transferred. And then the cost on the receiving end of whatever those current cemetery charges are. And I'll use the city as an example. If you were disinterring a body from a city cemetery and moving it to within another city cemetery, all total, you're probably looking at four to $4,000 to $4,500. And how many staff do you have that work with you and or per funeral usually that work with you? Well, per funeral, it's usually two to one, you know, that kind of thing. Let me, let me tell you my sad touch. We operate, as I said, four city cemeteries. They total roughly 175 acres between the four. We do all our own mowing, all our own weed eating, open and close all our own graves. City treats me like a homeowner if I have a water pipe that breaks or if something, I have to fix it myself and my staff. We handle any complaints we get about, you know, maintenance issues and stuff. And we do all that with eight people. And wow. we marry about 300 plus people a year. So Wow. So my guys do not stand still very often. Yeah. That's a lot of work. <clears throat> Maintaining. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at Guilford underscore R-O-D. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.